Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. and welcome to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi and I'm joined by Armin Navabi as always. And Armin is uh, coming in today from Warsaw. He's in Poland. Uh, he's traveling hey. there. Yeah, so you traveled there for a talk. My connection is really choppy. I don't know if this is going to work out, but we'll see. Let's hope it does. So, um, any case, uh, I wanted to get to our guest immediately today. So uh, we're joined by Thomas Smith. So Thomas Smith is a sort of veteran, a veteran podcaster in the atheist movement. Uh, he's the host of the popular Serious Inquiries Only podcast, uh, which was formerly the Atheistically Speaking podcast. And uh, he's known for his commentary on science, skepticism, atheism, critical thinking, politics. He's, he pretty much covers the entire um, board of topics, and he does it very well. Uh, he, he's also ho previously hosted uh, a podcast that I really liked. It was Thomas and the Bible. It was a, a smart, really witty podcast on the so-called good book, as we know, on the Bible, where he kind of scrutinizes it in a really entertaining and satirical way. Uh, so um, we're going to get to we'll get to it now. Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you uh, the <laughs> knowing T and the B. It's been a few years, but uh... But yeah, that was fun times. It's, yeah, it has been, but it's it's kind of uh, immortal. Yeah, and, true. It's still up there. Okay, so um, so I just wanted to get to. So you've been in this for a long time. So I know that recently, and one of the reasons I was, we were both actually very interested in having you on is because uh, there has been a lot of in the atheist movement. You know, if there is such a thing still, um, there has been a lot of uh, recent factionism. Right, there have been some schisms and. Uh, you know, some of that came up. You had a, you know, your recent appearance at, well, not recent now, I guess, almost two years ago, at uh, the MythCon conference, uh, where uh, you had that uh, quote-unquote debate with um, Carl Benjamin, the uh, sort of cultural, I guess, entertainer, commentator, whatever, <laughs> uh, who, um, and uh, it was very controversial, and uh, you know, it got a lot of uh, coverage all over the place. I, I, but that, that's actually just sort of one of the symptoms. But there's a bigger thing going on. What, what have your observations been like, uh, having been part of the atheist movement for so long and what you're witnessing nowadays? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it considered long? I, I don't I guess I don't feel that internally. But now that I think about it, I guess because time just goes so fast, the older you get, you know, it's like, I guess 2010 is when I started T and the B. So it's nine years of podcasting but but you know like i've i've never been particularly i've i've all i've done podcasts but it's i don't consider myself like you know i i don't uh i didn't start any groups you know i don't run any organizations i don't run any conferences so i've always felt a little on the outside anyway but um yeah it's an interesting thing i thought a lot about the topic of the atheist movement i actually did a talk last year in new orleans where i really 
I really had to think a lot about it because it feels like sometimes, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, like the internet can make you feel really bad about certain things, you know, like you can feel real, you can, the, the certain people show up a lot and are persistent and make you, they can, they can crowd people out of any space. And it does start to feel like a cesspool of uh, agitated, angry white dudes like that's what it starts to feel like sometimes but then and and, you know with the with the carl benjamin thing you know that was that was a perfect example that's i don't want really to be any part of anything like that so if that if he were the spokesperson or if that's the segment if that's the crowd that atheism was i wouldn't want to be in it at all but i uh when you look at polling numbers the weird thing is like how liberal atheists actually are, you know, like I don't think that atheists as a, as a whole in America and I'm anything I'm saying is going to be from an American lens. I I don't have any expertise on atheism in any other country, but when you look at the polling numbers, they're actually really liberal and they voted atheists voted uh, for Hillary and against Trump greater than like any other group, like uh, except I think Jewish people is the only other like religion or, or segment of, of, faith or whatever you'd want to divide it out. Um, and that surprised me when I look into those numbers because it online, oftentimes it feels like it's just a bunch of Ben Shapiro's who are on you all the time in a weird way. And I guess that's just the people who are active online are, you know, skew a certain way. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, well, first of all, I don't think it's just white dudes. I've seen it. All over the place. <laughs> so one thing is that um, Armin and I are both from, like we grew up in Muslim countries, so mm-hmm. uh, just Armin and I actually grew up in Muslim majority countries. So right. uh, Armin is from Iran. He grew up from Iran. He was, was a religious fundamentalist for a long time. I grew up in Libya and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, and I only came to North America when I was twenty-four. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so you know, we have uh, the. What I've seen is that's interesting is that we kind of you know how you do Thomas in the Bible, yeah, and you criticize Christianity. We talk about Islam the same way, right? And uh, and we find that really important because the way that uh, the way that Islam works in Muslim majority countries is it's part of the constitution of virtually all of them. Yeah, right? it's uh, imposed on us on a daily basis, and it's sort of like if you t- gave Trump dictatorial powers, right? That's the kind of power it has. Or Mike Pence, maybe. Yeah, or Mike Pence. <laughs> yeah, if you gave him, if you made. Him yeah, and the, you know that's. So that's interesting. This is one of the reasons why this conversation is a little weird because like I I speaking as another uh white dude American, atheism is one thing to me. And of course it's going to be a totally different thing to you guys and to other people. And one thing that I have to remind myself, you know, uh, I got a little I guess I haven't done, done as much atheism, you know, theism, religion, debatey stuff for a long time now. And I have to remind myself that like I I've lost interest in that and I can tell I can talk about why personally I have lost interest in it. But of course there's going to be people coming out of religion every day in America. You know, there's going to be people who uh were were steeped in a toxic Mormonism or a toxic uh um whatever it might be. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses, that's the one I remember interviewing a few Jehovah's Witnesses and it's like holy sh- oh, do you Curse on your show. Yeah, yeah, you can you <laughs> it's like, holy yeah. shit, like that. You're you're practically in a cult, you know, and they come out. Of, and there are, there are people at all kinds of different stages. And I, and I think, I guess I regret 
and I lament that there isn't what I see as like a healthy atheist movement for anyone who needs it where they're they are, you know. But it feels that way to me. How does it how does it feel to you guys? I mean, it's a can I can I say yeah, actually I, I interviewed uh, Carl um, as well after and I interviewed uh, now that we're interviewing you I, I'm getting the same feeling from both of you guys when it comes to talking about the atheist movement you you as you mentioned you keep focusing on the United States as if yeah. as the United States is the center of the whole the world you know it's talking about left and right uh, I mean I I, I see I, I kind of see why you're coming why you say that because you know or not just united states like the uk united states he's from uk like the western world right? yeah i mean the, the atheist movement is is growing faster than ever and this is not about whether people are for hillary or for trump we're talking about atheists in philippines in indonesia in egypt in iran in saudi arabia and bangladesh these are the these are people that are we're talking about people that their entire lives are governed by religion and in, yeah. or influenced by, heavily by religion, and they're tired of it, and they're looking for a community. And political disagreements to a lot of these people are secondary, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when the gay rights movement becomes so popular and successful in the in the West, I know there's still a lot more to go, but still, like they were, we had left wing gay people, right wing gay people, religious gay people, atheist gay people. But the, but the thing that got them together was like, okay, it's not okay for people to mistreat us just because we're gay. And we have other disagreements and that's fine, but we can still get together on this issue and make a difference and try to normalize being gay. And I think atheists need to be, be able to disagree with each other on other things while be able to put that aside when it comes to normalizing atheism, which at least a lot of us should be able to do that on a global scale. Yeah, I absolutely agree with with everything you just said. I think uh, I I would a little bit disagree with at least from an American perspective, um, there being too many gay people on the right that didn't really happen. Because like, if the thing you're agreeing on is gay people shouldn't be uh, discriminated against, and the official policy of the right wing was they should be, then there there weren't a whole lot of gay people uh, on the right. But yeah, but but even. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, let me just. Yeah, I was gonna say. I like. I I don't know if you cut. I know your connections, dodgy Armin, but. Um, I said early on, like I, yeah, I'm focused on the U.S. Like, I mean, that's why I don't, I don't know what this conversation's gonna look like because that's that's my focus. And what happened with me is I, I started caring more about the political situation in the U.S. than I did about religion or atheism in the U.S. But that's that's not to say that I th the way I think should be the whole world. I'm just saying like those right. are my priorities. That's, that's all. That's fair, and I think that's why a lot of times when we say things that people say that, oh, you, you're talking about stuff that shouldn't be said in this po uh, political climate. Yeah. And we're like, we are, we are, like, because they're looking at it from a narrower scope, like, we're like, which political climate are you talking about? Political right. climate in Iran, in Saudi Arabia? Because, you know, like, they, they keep looking at uh, Muslims and Islam as a minority and oppressed minority where we're, we're when we're talking about we're talking about an authoritarian majority uh you know when you say when you refer to people as like all oh, these uh, what did you say didn't you say just uh, agitated white dude right which I, I don't think it's a nice way to refer to any group of people but you know maybe if you were living in an islamic country you would be referring to muslims the same you know imagine like all oh, these angry, agitated Muslims, right? You know, 
kind of would sound less acceptable in yeah. in your circles if you were talking about those, like we come yeah, away. That, that is what they say there they actually do they like oh like these uh over there yeah. the sort of secular liberals that's what they refer to as the authoritarian so, what i'm saying is that the the the, the the, you know how frustrated you're feeling about some certain problematic figures in the atheist movement, um, uh, quote unquote. We, we we have that issue with people like showing up at your door and hacking you to death, or the government uh, showing up at your door, uh, yeah. or you losing your job, or you know, or getting or Indonesia getting seven year prison sentences, right? Um, this is this is the kind of environment we're dealing with. So when people uh, when people tell us like, oh, maybe you should tone it down because Trump is president, we we tell them to go fuck off. Like you're, that's like they're too like they don't see the global thing that we're dealing with here. I I see where you're coming from, and like I'm not. It it is. I guess it's difficult in this day and age when any conversation people are having because it's online feels like it's about here and now, you know what I mean? And and I guess I don't know how you solve that because I, I 1 million percent agree that if you are trying to be an atheist in one of these authoritarian Muslim countries where it's literally against the law and you could face death for it, like, you are in an entirely different situation than I'm in. I've, I've never once uh, said that atheism here applies anywhere. Like it's, it's just my focus is here. That's all I'm saying. And yeah. it's a little okay. difficult though. Here's, here's what I want to say though. Um, my, with my experience being in this country and again, the, the political situation and by the way, the racial situation in this country is unique and it's specific to here. And what I see when I say things like a bunch of agitated white dudes, that's because I have a history of being harassed for years by a bunch of agitated white dudes. It's just a statement of fact. It doesn't like so like if if you want to talk about different circumstances, yes, those aren't the circumstances in, in these countries you're talking about. But it's my circumstances online because we have something called white fragility in this country and it's you deal I you deal with it every day. My own family, I can you know, is is the kind of people who can't even hear the words Black Lives Matter without like arguing with it. You know, like so that's the reality I'm I'm in, and I'm not trying to say that applies to you or people in another country. I guess. So I I actually I I think that that's fair, right? Uh, because one of the advantages of having lived in that part of the world and then coming here and living in this part of the world is you realize where the power is. Mm -hmm. So the way that, you know, when you say the, the people who've been in power in those countries for a very long time are sort of these, uh, you know, Islamic fundamentalist people, because they, they were, even when they were a minority, they just had a lot of power because they were able to organize. They're yeah. not scared of death. They're fine with dying, right? So the, there's only a limited way, number of ways in which you can combat them. Um, and, and the third thing is that they uh, are able to use piety a mixture of piety and fear right to instill to, to manipulate people so they'll say oh yeah if you don't agree with me that's blasphemy now we can do to you what and and then the public is gonna because the public is religious they're gonna believe in they're, they're gonna feel that's justified because it's blasphemy and and you've had a similar kind of power thing the people who've been in power here for the longest time are are generally white men yeah i think so the far right I, conservative yeah. movement in this country is is strikingly similar to that they're a minority right. position that is able to exert 
all kinds of control on our politics. Right. So yeah, I get that. So, um, but, but do you think do you think it's fair to like refer to the? I mean, I, I, I mean, I know it's a statement of fact, but if you refer when you refer to people's races, um, it seems like we're suggesting that their race has something to do with the fact that they're being agitated. It has absolutely everything to do with the fact that they're being agitated. Uh, no, but I I think what Armin's saying is that it doesn't. That like the majority of uh, white people, as you said, um, you know, there were more people who voted for uh, like they they elected Obama, they elected Hillary. So there are there's at least fifty percent, or you know, around plus minus of of people who also happen to be sort of white. Um, even if you look at the polls, you know, the white men, even if they're above the majority, it's not by a whole lot. There's still a huge amount of uh, people who are not like that. So is it okay to say that isn't it wouldn't it be like saying well all muslims are like this or all white people like I, this where did my people. where did i say all anything i just said yeah it, no, no, wait, can i can i say all. something so uh -huh. i mean i i don't i don't i think it's um it's not fair to refer to people's races when we're criticizing them like white black you know arab or anything like that no, but Armin, think, well, can, I, can i finish can i finish yeah, yeah. I connection all the time so I, when i have connection i want to use it as much as i can um <laughs> connection uh, privilege but but do you think i because i think when people say refer to white people like that do you think i have white fragility i maybe we're not on the same page on the definition of right white fragility i'm not i'm not sure what you mean so go, how, yeah, go how could you have white fragility as not a white person uh, maybe maybe we maybe we have a definitional disagreement. White fragility is a book that uh, I highly recommend. It's on my shelf somewhere, and it's it's very specific to this country and to the racial situation in this country, and to years of black people trying to get any modicum of justice and being resisted in the most fragile ways all the time. Now it doesn't describe every white person, but it is very much a phenomenon among white Americans, and there's no. There's no intelligible way to talk about it otherwise. Okay. Do you, do you think that? Okay. The thing that, uh, like, for, uh, the way Arabs, for example, treat Pakistani people and Filipino people in many places as inferior to them, right? Uh, do you think it's fair for us to keep pointing out these racist Arabs? You know, constantly mention the fact that they're Arabs. That this is an Arab thing. Like, do you think that's Kind of might suggest that I'm trying to, even if I say, well, it's not all Arabs, but by referring to them as, you know, um, constantly like putting the fact that this is an Arab thing. Let me let me like let me ask you a hypothetical, just just hypothetically. In the 1800s, do you think it would have been racist to say like white people have enslaved black people in America? Is that do you think that's racist? I mean, it's just this is a description of the racial right. dynamics that have no, happened. No, no, it's fact. It's fact. But he's a. He, I understand what you're saying, but when I, I think when people uh, fixate on a certain group of people, then I, I think there's a different motivation. There. For example, if you look at, for example, Israel right, as a country, right, you can criticize Israel just like you can criticize every country, mm -hmm. right? But when I, when I see, for example, a certain group of people, let, let's say within the Muslim community, that the, the mistakes by a, foreign, um, by a country of Israel, foreign policy mis mistakes by Israel, grabs their attention a lot more than uh, other countries, even if, like, for example, China. China commits uh, more oppression of Muslims than Israel. I, I agree with um, this. I agree with this right. very much. 
So, so the, when I see that they're completely fixing their attention only on Israel, like if they were, then it might, to me, it suggests that there's something else going on here. Not that they're not saying maybe statement of facts. They are saying statement of facts. But given that China's oppression of Muslims doesn't seem to bother them, yeah. but Israel's treatment of Muslims does seem to bother them. To me, I think there's a lot going on there. Um, I think, I, but I agree with you. I, I very, I don't support the, uh, what is it, the BDS movement? Uh, is that what it's called? Yeah, I don't support yeah, that. Be- divestment yeah, I, because of this very reason, because we don't do that with China. And uh, I, so I totally agree with you there. I think there's there's a lot happening and it's hard to talk in generalities about any of this stuff. We'd have to look at specific people and their motivations. But in I guess trying to speak generally, I think that one valid reason to be critical, more critical of Israel uh, as an American is that we support them and they're an ally and we give them billions of dollars. And we so like we might be so more critical of people that Saudi Arabia. So yeah, yeah. Pakistan. So I'm just saying versus China, like that's one like right. we couldn't exert yeah. influence on Israeli politicians, hypothetically, if we decided we wanted to actually do that versus that's a good example, with, with... because not that many people complain about foreign uh, aid to Pakistan as much as it is mm. Israel again. Right. Yeah. So so the reason why I bring this example is like, OK, so you mentioned the slave trade. Yeah. But um, it's a very fair thing to say that white people own black people but so did the arabs so did the uh, Romans. again i'm speaking so as an american i cannot at all speak to the situation the political and racial situation in other countries i'm i'm merely i've i've consumed a lot of information on uh, the american racial racial situation and i don't right. i don't try to universalize it to any other country i, I don't know what to tell you Okay, so you mentioned the 1800s. You were talking about the British Empire. I was, I no, I brought that as a comparison because you were trying to tell me that it's it's not right to bring up people's race to criticize them. I'm saying I I use that as an example to say no, this is this is the situation in America. We have. So so no, I was speaking to to your example. I was speaking to your example. Like I say, yeah, it's fair to say that in the 1800s, white people owned but and sold black people, while it's also fair to say that the Arabs. Like, um, you know, when in your example, you were focusing on America, you were focusing on the British Empire, right? And that's a fair thing to say, as long as people don't dismiss the fact that every, um, all the Persians own people, black mm-hmm. people own other black people. And that's also part of the fact. So right? I, I think it comes down to, again, what I was saying earlier is the power dynamic, right? In, yeah. In the Arab countries where I grew up, and I was, I'm from a Pakistani family who grew up in Saudi Arabia. So, yes, we were, there was a definite class and racist difference that was actually official i mean it wasn't mm-hmm. even sort of underground it was actually out in the open so i i get that over here it was like but i i so i thomas i i think one of the things um that causes some confusion and um i to be fair to you here is that when you look at uh something like i want to get back to the muslims and islam when you look at uh muslims here in the u.s where they're a minority right and they have very different character-wise. Yep. And you look at uh, Muslims in Muslim-majority countries, it's a it's a completely different situation. For instance, you yep. know, over here, um, in, the Muslims are considered an oppressed... Uh, well, they're considered a minority that is being oppressed, say, in the Trump age. Let's take that. Okay. Okay, so and it's part of the liberal conscience to protect minorities and protect minority rights, right? So when the... You know, when uh, women over here, uh, you know, if... if 
when they're in the women's march to show solidarity with Muslims because Trump is calling for Muslim ban, they will wear the hijab to show solidarity. They did that in New Zealand too after the Christchurch attack. You know, they'll put it on. But the same hijab in Iran and Saudi Arabia is forced onto women. Right. So over there in Iran, there's a big movement of taking off the hijab, burning it. Women mm -hmm. are going to jail for the right to take off the hijab. There are women who've been fighting for 20 years, like Masih Alinajad, uh, who wrote The Wind in My Hair, uh, the person, the Iranian activist, she's actually, she's been on this podcast as well. Hmm. Um, you know, she she's leading this movement to fight against the hijab and what it stands for. They, they look at it as, as my wife says, they look at it as a Confederate flag, right? As a former, you have the right to wear hmm. it. Yes, go ahead and wear it. But, you know, it, it has a history and there's a reason that it was invented. And uh, and there's a sim there's something that it stands for. Yeah, it's interesting. Had the leader of New Zealand been male, like what what would they have done to show the same solidarity? I wonder. Would have gotten circumcised or, or grown a beard. <laughs> no. But, but uh, sorry. yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, so I just want to. So so what happens is that you have liberals in the Western world, which everybody looks to because they tend to have uh, freedom of speech and they're able to say things for people who can't. And then you have liberals, uh, secular liberals in uh, places like the Muslim world, all the, the 51 Muslim majority countries in the world. Yeah. So what happens is that when we over here, uh, when we talk about uh, going out and we start defending certain things in the Quran, saying it's, uh, you know, or, or glamorizing the hijab or wearing it in solidarity um, to them, because they don't understand the dynamics the power dynamics that we're discussing specific to our locations they tend to look at it as a slap in the face yeah. because for that, they're, they're a lot more aggressive, right? They, they, the way they talk about Islam is much more aggressive than the way people do here because uh, respectful dialogue is a, is a privilege of free and open societies, mm -hmm. right? We can engage in it. We can say, let's be respectful and have a measured kind of conversation. Uh, but over there, when they're, they, they have very little time or very few opportunities to actually speak out in a way that they can, uh, they, they there's a lot more anger and a lot more emotion and passion associated with it. So I think that causes some of the confusion. And a lot of people here in the atheist movement um, in the West tend to uh, misread um, the, the kind of things that uh, the atheists from the Muslim world are saying. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, it's very I agree with you. I think the issue of, you know, the, the prime minister of New Zealand donning a hijab, that's like, one of the most difficult, complicated things I could think of because, oh yeah, I agree. It's it really. it means one thing to her and to the Muslims in New Zealand, and something completely different to other people. You know, like it means it means showing solidarity with a persecuted minority in one context, and in another context is reinforcing awful gender, uh, like norm. What would you call it? Gender uh, almost rules. Uh, I guess yeah, oppression. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I, I, that's a tough thing. I think that, that it's when the way you lay out the case, you know, like, I, I think that she probably shouldn't have done that. And like that, it, it is kind of, it, it's sacrificing a lot of people in order to try to save a, another group of, you know what I mean? It's tough, but I don't look I, yeah, at it, but I completely it, agree with you. at it's the same time, you see people online in, in atheist, uh, you know, contexts saying horrible things about how she wants Sharia law. And it's like, obviously she doesn't, you know, like it, it's, so it's hard. It's these conversations we're having as, as has been a theme of this podcast, which is they apply in a certain context and not in another. And I agree with you that that's, I mean, 
that caused probably causes a lot of harm when when a leader of a country yeah, does I'm that. Interesting. I think that can yeah, I do want to admit that we do have uh, within our own atheist community, like I, um, you know, we we keep keep saying that oh, a lot of people call us racist or Nazis, and it's unfair. But we but we do have to admit that we do have a lot of bigotry and racism in the atheist community. We do, and we um, we need to call them out. Like you know, a lot of people think, and we do call it out whenever we see it. Like within the Atheist Republic, for example, right after the New Zealand shooting, uh, when we posted about it, uh, we got a lot of comments um, supporting the shooter. Lots of comments. Supporting wow. The shooter. And that's you know, we, horrible. That's a huge yeah. problem. Yeah. And we, 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 instead of shying away from it, we, we shined the light on it, right? We, told, we called it out as bullshit. And but the thing is that a lot of people, uh, you know, we don't we we don't dance around it. This is this is a big problem, and we don't pretend. I want. I wonder if I could ask you, Armin, why you think that was? Because nothing I'm involved in had anybody cheering the shooting, and I would be shocked if it did. You know, like why do you think that there would be people in that group who would do that? Because that's that's horrible. Yeah. Well, one thing is one thing that I think we do is that when one, one problem with censoring speech all the time is that these people are out there there's a lot of them that are out there and the fact that you're shocked about it is because we we have created such you know safe spaces that people don't see these things and they don't know how big of a problem it is and that's another problem i have with constantly censoring people i I would beg to differ I would beg mm-hmm. I would beg to differ. I am shocked because I'm shocked that your space online hasn't made clear that those people wouldn't be welcome. Well, I mean, we we okay, so we we create diff, we have different environments, right? We have an area where people these things are not welcome, but we also have an area where we want these people it's not about being welcome. We don't want them it's not the thing is that we want to be able to call them out, bring attention to the fact that this is a huge thing. And also sometimes change some of their opinions, which we have. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of times when, when we remove these people, it's not like they're going to go home and all of a sudden change their opinion because now they don't have access to atheist republic, right? It's, these, the, the thing is that a lot of a lot of people don't know how common these these dangerous ideas are. We know it because we constantly see it. Are you saying that you 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 welcome people who are cheering a mass murder in your group because you would be able to change some of their minds? Is that what you're? Welcome you is a is a word that I wouldn't be using. Okay. We, because I I would suggest do. counter to what to that hypothesis because this, this there is a hypothesis that you know like the the sun is the best disinfectant if you let the people out then whatever. But like, I don't really think that's true. I think that I, there was a time when I might have even believed that. But I think what we see is when we allow these people out of the fringes of our society and when they feel emboldened by somebody like Trump, again, to speak from the American context, what we see is not a bunch of people who uh, start voicing their opinions and then they're shot down. And they're like, oh, now I've changed my mind. What we see is more hate groups registered than ever. You know, like the, 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 there's a rise of hate groups. In the U.S., because the minute the they feel, because they grew in darkness for a very long time. 
I know. I, I'm suggesting it's the opposite. There. Trump, Trump, Trump didn't create them. They were growing. I don't for, think he the created past. them, but he made it more okay. Like when you have a figure like that, it, it makes yeah, them feel more them. emboldened. I wanted. I'll. I'll just take this opportunity. Yeah. I. I did a. Um, I actually talked about this uh, some time ago at the Muslimish conference. So I had this. If you're from the ex-Muslim uh, community, or mm -hmm. from if you're an atheist from the Muslim world. Uh, this is something that we've been aware of since, I think, 2013, 2014, because uh, in contrast to the rest of the atheist activists, something that happened with us was that I remember uh, so I was fairly prominent because I was writing for HuffPost. I had, you know, a big online presence mm -hmm. and I started getting a lot of these supporters who would come in and they would like, you know, I because I used to criticize Islam. I mean, that's mm -hmm. my experience as an atheist, just like yours is with the Bible. Um, so uh, so they would come in, they're like. Yeah, you're right. I support you. I, I want all the Muslims out of the country, yeah. too. Yeah. And then I started thinking, I'm like, wow, that's not what I'm talking about right. here. My whole family's Muslim. Everybody I grew up with is Muslim. So this is something that um, that I found. I started noticing around 2013, 2014. And then I thought, I'm like, well, what should I do with this? Do I let it be? Do I let these commenters stay? Or do I start getting rid of them? And um, I decided to let them stay and I decided to let other people be exposed to it and fight it out and they had these arguments I, I just feel like it was inevitable this this kind of thing was going to happen and I, ha I have a certain perspective on it too but I think that this is something that people who are uh, atheists or secular activists from the Muslim world have seen probably a lot more than um, the, the non-Muslim atheist activists because you know they've wanted to sort of co-opt our message like I got so many invitations to go on a lot of these right wing shows. And, yeah, you know, I, I bet. It, I so, I, so I don't think that you know. I totally I see what you're saying, and I don't know if there's a harder position to be in than being an ex Muslim. Like you get hate from every side. <laughs> you know, like you get I mean, hate it's, from. It's the, it's own thing. Yeah, it's it, there is uh that happens. Everybody has their own set of challenges. I'm I'm just talking. Yeah. Like a, no, but I mean, in this environment, because you get you get right wing assholes who want to co opt you, and you get. People on the left who are fighting against you saying you're too, you know, too vocal against Islam. That's a tough position to be in. So I certainly can re uh, respect that. But like there was a, you know, 10 years ago, I might have believed the idea that like, no, we need to expose these people if they're out. That that's but like, I just don't think the evidence has borne that out. Like, I think what works is not allowing these people to have a space where they thrive and what doesn't work is emboldening them, you know, like giving them the space. They, they use it. They take that space and they, they, it's, they seize on it and grow, I think. And that's why we've seen it because that theory would have suggested, I think that like, Oh, Trump is a release valve. So like all that hatred, you know, now that they've got Trump elected, it, it'll calm down a little bit. Cause they feel, you know, they're, they're bet they've restored their power. No, it just gets worse. You know, like it just makes it worse. I think we have to fight to keep I, those I, people I, I, I don't think he's a release valve as much as a symptom. So, um, I mean, this was something that was happening. Yeah. Uh, it was big enough. I think a lot of people ignored it. I mean, we've got block buttons, right? So people block people and then they are just not exposed to things. And then it keeps going. And then when uh, Trump wins, then it becomes everybody sort of, you know, they're, they're shocked. They're like, what happened? So I, so I actually well, think that the that's whole... a huge conversation. A lot goes into Trump winning and we could have a separate uh, no, conversation. I, I agree with you. That's a, that's a very complicated thing, but the way that I view it and I, I, we had Steven Pinker on this podcast too. And we talked about this is that he, he saw one common thing between uh, the, the rise of Trump and the 
increased intensity of jihadism in the last like several years with ISIS is that you know every transformative change uh, towards the future, a better future, is usually two steps forward, one step back. So I, I asked him. I said, "Is this a movement or a backlash?" And and um, the the problem is when when you see that there's a world that you're familiar with that's slipping away, as you said, the I guess uh, you know the agitated white dudes, or in our part of the world, it was like these sort of religious extremists who always had a had a um, a chokehold on the society. You know, when that happens, they see the world slipping away. They see their youth listening to Western music or, or you know, doing their own thing, becoming more secular, um, engaging with other people online. Over here, you see that, you know, we elected a, a black president twice. Um, you know, people are, universities are getting more liberal and, and so on. You, just, you know, when you see these changes, then the people who originally had that power, they tend to try and, you know, when people are about to die, they scream the loudest. So it's very, very intense. It's still not a majority, but it's very intense. So it's like the, in the throes of death. And, and when they do that, you get that one step back. So I, I don't look at it as a movement, the whole Trumpian thing. I look at it, or the jihadist thing. I look at it as a backlash, as a response to a world that is changing and it's moving forward. Um, that's not to say the backlashes can't be devastating. I mean, we saw the whole Hitler thing was just a couple of decades, but it caused tremendous damage. But it's far behind now. Yes, I mean there are neo Nazis nowadays. They're trying to make a comeback and so on. But it's not. It's nothing like that. Stuff's not going to come back, right? I um, so so I I kind of view it that way. I know there's a lot of reasons for the rise of Trump. I see the same kind of intensity with jihadism. But I I feel that that's kind of my perspective on it, which may be too optimistic. But yeah. I, I, again, I can only speak about the American situation, and of course, as as limited as any person is in in that who's who's not an expert no, no, on I, the field. But I, I was talking about that. As yeah, well. I mean, but I, I wanted to I, just I, speak sorry. in generalities about the idea that, like, if you block people who are cheering on a massacre from your group, that somehow that's not the right thing to do. And I just strongly disagree with that. It is the right thing to do. We need to give these people yeah. no quarter. And that's when they, they people respond to the feeling of having a social group that they feel like. I guarantee you that those people probably felt like that group would agree with them in some respect, at least some number of them. Because, you know, like that's why they're there. I think there's a reason that's why they're there. Yeah, there is a so the the, the kind of rhetoric that you're I, I, I actually I do think that, you know, for example, when they threw. With social media platforms throwing off certain people, right? I mean, they banned your the guy you debated, Sargon of Cod. Yeah, they, they banned uh, Milo, and it was a good Chico. thing, and it helped. I do like calling it deep platforming. I don't think it has anything to do with freedom of speech in any kind of legal sense. I mean, those right. people are still free to shout out from the rooftops or wherever right. they want to do it. But um, I, I just think that, and I saw this, I, I know that these people were not very vocal uh, around the time they started speaking up on, which, on my which pages. People? Which people? Uh, the, the same people, the sort of anti-Muslim, the people who started co-opting my message um, hmm. for their benefit. And I feel like it festered underground. Uh, well, I feel like they were shunned publicly during the Obama years, and it festered underground. I have to disagree. It, it festered on Fox News. That's the issue. They still have a far-right place to go. And they need to not have that. So 
I mean, we can talk about the marginal difference that any one person's going to make. Like, obviously, any one, you know, if you block this one person on your page, obviously, that's not going to make or break anything. And that's just the that's just what it is to be a person in a society. Like, there's no one individual action often that you're going to take that's going to do it. But if these people didn't have these spaces, the safe space for those people is Fox News. It is garbage what what they talk about on most of those shows. I mean, it's outright anti-Muslim bigotry all the time. And so that's their home base. And then they can kind of reach their tentacles out and see what else they can latch onto. And I think we need to chop that off. I don't, I think they, the, the less you, they you have. Know, like, go, a go a lot of these people, and I, I can give you specific examples of people who initially followed me when we had the, so I've been doing this for a little bit over a little over 10 years. I think I started for writing for HuffPost around 2008, hmm. 2007, something like that. And uh, so a lot of the people, even, including individuals that I knew, people that I quoted in my book, uh, you know, they they veered off to this sort of alt-right and yeah. far-right um, thing. And, and they were all atheists. And yeah. I can, I can like, I'm talking about hundreds of them. At, at, that that's I what I, you know, I just sorry to cut in, but that's exactly what I was talking about at the beginning, because I had that same feeling, too. And then you check the numbers and it's like, how is this possible? But it's just like this small group, I guess. Because again, numbers wise, atheists are really liberal, but like somehow this I, focus. I probably group... got a skewed. Uh, I probably got a skewed version of it because I am from the ex-Muslim community. Right, yeah, so I guess yeah. more of those, a disproportionate amount of those, would would come and follow me uh, in that sense. Because uh, th that was a that was a big issue. So so what do you do now? I mean, now you have this uh, problem of um, criticizing religion right mm -hmm. religion also includes islam the abrahamic religion uh, religions and so on so so you know you have you had this thing uh, you know thomas in the bible which was uh, again i told you a great podcast now you take that and and supposing someone did that with the quran right and you're criticizing well, they did people did um, <laughs> actually a lot yeah, of people ripped off my my podcast and did it with the other book well, that's okay no uh, hard <laughs> no that's great so so they do this uh, when you criticize islam though it's very different so recently there yeah. was after this christchurch thing there are many people who are uh, blaming um, a new atheist activists like like Richard Dawkins, like Sam Harris, uh, for their rhetoric, right? Um, I personally got that too. Some people thought that because of the stuff that I was talking about, that's what led to Christchurch. I got a lot of messages like that. I know Armin got a lot of that as well because Armin has some very – he's made some pretty um, provocative yeah, statements. Yeah, we, we can talk about the spectrum of blame and I yeah. would – I would put you not as far up as, as I would put other people, if at all. I don't think you're to blame. I, I You but know, I talked about it on my show. Go ahead. No, I, I guess the question is, and, and go ahead. Like, the, Do you think that these the new atheists, a lot of these new atheists, do, do you feel like they are to blame for, for what happened at Christchurch? Not really. Not as much as you might think. I think that there are people who... When, when something like this happens, I think we all look at what's in front of us and what we can change. And I think a lot of liberal progressive atheists see some of the crap Sam Harris says and others, and they say, this is it. And I, I agree to a certain extent that people like Sam Harris have stuff that they should apologize for and retract. But I do also think that people are a little bit losing the entire picture if their first person they're pointing at is Sam Harris or somebody like that. Like we have a Fox News outrage anti-Muslim machine. We have 
far right politicians in Australia and New Zealand. Like there, there are people there stoking fears, uh, you know, uh, uh, who are much more immediately to blame. But what, where I looked at it was like, if you are someone who has made a, like the reason I, I zoomed in on Sam Harris on this is, is I, I, I think you listened yeah, to the episode, but, but I'll just yeah. repeat it is because one of the statements he made, and, and this was written in his book in 2006 was that France would become a Muslim majority country in 25 years. You know, like that's an insane statement. And he didn't, uh, I don't think he offered a source people. I think somebody asked him later and I, I don't know what bullshit source he has, but like someone pointed out, Hey, it's been what? 13 years since 2006. And so you're halfway through your 25 year time frame, and the population of Muslims is, I don't know, six, 8%. Like it's just not, that just wasn't true. And so if you've made a statement that, like that, that it was a not true and, and B was an awful lot like something that was cited in the 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 killer's uh, manifesto. This idea of the Islamification of Europe and they're taking over our whatever and they're out there, they're breeding more. If so, if those two circumstances are true, if you've made a, a false statement and is cited in his manifesto in some way, I feel like you ought to make very clear where you stand and apologize but and retract I, it. So th- this is where I I disagree with you. So I I think that there are. I think that there are a lot of statements that we make, right? That that other people who are very unsavory characters will also make, and they will be true, right? Uh, in this case, it wasn't true. It was a little overblown. The the thing, but, but that's I mean, why I made that clear. Like, if it's a true statement, I even said this in my podcast. If your statement is the sky is blue, and then the guy writes, ah, the sky, he said the sky is blue, and so I'm killing people. Like, yeah, that's not your fault. Like, I of right. course, you know. But it's it's yeah, yeah. that statement of the of of Muslims taking over Europe and, and France, like that was part of a package of bigoted misinformation that people were selling, you know? So, like, so here's the thing. I, I think that the fear of Muslims taking over any Western country generally is overblown. I am probably aligned with you um, in that uh, the far right populism, far right authoritarian populism is a much bigger threat. Like in the sense that, you know, the, the Nazi founded party in Australia, in Austria, Actually, got forty six percent of the vote in the last elections. I mean, wow, Poland that's is scary. Thing yeah, there's yeah. So there's a lot of Marine Le Pen was actually a serious candidate. So yeah. so there are. I, I think that that is uh, probably a bigger issue right, than than Islam taking over uh, Europe. But it has caused them a lot of problems. I mean, you understand why in 2014, 2015, with ISIS, all of those attacks, there were a lot of people who were very very concerned about the rising Muslim population there. I think that it was overblown. I think it was paranoia. But I, I, where I stop short is I, I don't think that 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 holds any responsibility. I, I think that's a conversation you can have when you have a refugee crisis. And again, I'm aligned with you on this. I don't agree with it, but I don't think that people who want to talk about immigration and how to handle it and how to do it smarter, right? And and what what are we going to do about the resources? What are we going to do about the response of our populations here? With this influx of you, I, I think that that's a legitimate conversation to have that is not necessarily coming from a bigoted place. I, I think that, um, I mean, it's a conversation. It really depends. It might, might come with a bunch of dog whistles to bigotry. It might come, you it know, can. like you got to look at right. specifics. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, and that, that's what I'm saying. I, I think that when you, if you talk about somebody like uh, Tommy Robinson saying it, then yes, I think it comes from a, a very different or place. Or Trump and everybody involved in the Trump administration, basically. 
I mean, right. they, they, they've but, shut off, you know, like how many refugees were taken. Like it's, it's, they've absolutely shut it off. And I think it's, it's immoral. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. But if you talk about somebody like Sam Harris saying it compared to Tommy, I, th- I think that's a completely different thing. It depends. So Again, I, I, oh, go ahead. I, I, I won't interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There's a, there's an example of, for instance, you know, you make this, um, you know, one example I give is of Noam Chomsky, who I read a lot in my youth, right? And he had very, very uh, aggressive criticisms of U.S. foreign policy. At one point, he literally said that the U.S. is the largest terrorist state, right? He said it because of its foreign policy misadventures across the world. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of his foreign policy critiques of the U.S. were completely on point. Now, on the other hand, uh, you know, you had Osama bin Laden, who cited mm. Noam Chomsky in his right. speeches, right? He he shared most of his views with uh, with uh, Chomsky uh, on U.S. foreign policy. Um, uh, he owned a few of his books, right? That was found when they found mm-hmm. all of his books. He had some of Chomsky's books, and uh, he used those ideas to justify terrorism against Americans, against innocent Americans. Yeah. Right. Now the question is, do you um, say that Chomsky has some, and a lot of the stuff was not necessarily, was not necessarily true. I mean, Chomsky does exaggerate a lot too. So, do you say that Chomsky holds any, has any responsibility for terrorism against Americans? Do you say his views on U.S. foreign policy were not legitimate because Bin Laden had the same ones, or do you? Well, say no, that I wouldn't say that. Out? I wouldn't say they were not legitimate because somebody bad might have the same ones, and that's not what I'm saying in this case. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The Sam Harris quote that I mentioned was very, you know, I was very specific about that quote. That is bullshit and it's harmful bullshit. And if there was something equivalent in Noam Chomsky's book, I'm not as familiar with Noam Chomsky, to be honest. So if there's outright lies, you know, like if there's stuff that's inaccurate and and a quote like saying we're terrorist state, like honestly, I don't know, like it wouldn't be the craziest. What would be the argument against him having some uh, form of responsibility for when somebody attacks us. Like he's labeled us if he has, and I'm just going off of what you're giving me. If he has labeled us as a terrorist state and he's being cited in Osama bin Laden's work, like I, what's the argument that his work isn't in some way responsible for that? Well, I mean, other than just like, yeah, I wouldn't say responsible. I feel like, I well, think, what's a, I think what's that, a good word for it? Because I agree with you. It's not it's not responsible. It's, it's like, and I I agree. I totally agree. And I think the same thing applies to people like Sam Harris. It's not. Re, I, he's not responsible. But like, yeah, it's, he has stuff it, it, to apologize it, yeah, for. I guess is what I'm saying with with Sam he, Harris. He, oh yeah, I I don't I I think that I don't even know about, about that. Like you know, there are many. Uh, good ideas or even neutral ideas that have been used by people to do horrible things that like, like the evolution was used by Hitler to justify everything that he did in the Holocaust, right? There's I, you, you supposing you did, you know, you did uh, Thomas in the Bible, right? Where we kind of skewered the, the Bible and every, and all of its contents. And um, someone goes out and, you know, has the same views about the Bible and then goes and kills, you know, Christians are as where there are minorities, like in, in places like Pakistan, they're persecuted really, really badly. So someone does that. But would you hold? Notice that nowhere did I cite Sam Harris's criticism of just things that are wrong in Islam. And I don't, that's what I don't hold him responsible for. If he's just criticizing tenets of Islam or the Quran, I didn't 
very purposefully do not group that together with yeah. re- repeating a racist lie about the Islamification of France. And I, I'll do you one better. I actually think what might even be more harmful uh, when he when he talks about Sam Harris is his legitimizing Ben Shapiro. Because people like Ben Shapiro, I think, have a lot more to apologize for in terms of this massacre. Uh, I think that he's far more Islamophobic in a harmful way. And Sam Harris has him on the show and says, like, oh, we disagree, but let's talk about free will and God. Like, that's what we disagree on. Totally ignoring uh, Ben Shapiro's awful racist comments, his transphobic comments, his anti-gay comments, like all kinds of stuff that Sam gave his listeners access to. Sam has millions of listeners. And he has Ben Shapiro on his show. Uh, I think it was a live show they did. And he talks about how nice, oh, yeah, we can we can talk, we disagree. You know, it's no big deal. Whereas he can't say the same thing about Ezra Klein. You know, but, who, Ez- what? It, 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 that funnels your audience towards a certain thing. And, it, yeah, and so it, I, I don't want, uh, like, a, that, that will get into the weeds too much with this. But I think his whole idea was that he felt like Ezra, Ezra Klein engaged with him dishonestly. And then... And whereas Ben Shapiro does it honestly, but I, I agree with you. Like in terms of Ben Shapiro, <laughs> yeah, we all know Ben, ben Shapiro is far more honest than Ezra Klein. Sure. Yeah. So, so the stuff that I agree on with you is that is that I think that Ben Shapiro is uh, it's sort of he's an intellectual in the Trump age. There's a lot of people who become the threshold for intellectuals has as sort of uh, declined as has plummeted um, since since this the whole the last four years but in any case i i don't think that there's any problem with engaging with them it comes to the same thing you're talking about having millions of listeners you're talking about giving somebody a platform uh, this is somebody who's very prominent he has a lot of influence um or someone like jordan peterson you know, he's a huge uh, amount of influence right in, in terms of all of his speeches and the book and everything so it, isn't it better for somebody to have him on and debate him and disagree with him openly and give a uh, counter narrative. That's rather than- just not what happens though. That's what's been so frustrating. You, you're like, I was a huge Sam Harris fan. Like, I'm sure you know that if you followed me at all, I used to like, I have his books. I used to just be a Sam Harris fan. But when you have, and Jordan Peterson was, was before, I think it was before Ben Shapiro and uh, on the podcast. Cause I used to listen to every episode. And um, what, what happens is, we get people who say generically, and this fucking grift happens all the time. It's, no, we need to have people on, challenge them. And then what happens is you have Jordan Peterson, who is a transphobe asshole, who who got, went, went on a whole tirade about not using pronouns. And then he brings him on the show and says, well, everything you say about that is right. Like he literally says in the first part of the show, everything you say about that is right. I'm not a legal expert, but yeah, wow, that Bill C-16, everything you say is right on that. Anyway, let's talk about uh, what did he talk about? It was like religion. Or, that that's not a, getting them on. And cha- if you have a person, let me, let me just hypothetical. You you take right. somebody uh, who who has neo Nazi views, and you be like sunlight's the best disinfectant. Let's let's debate him. You bring him on the show. And you go hi, love everything you do, but what about Keynesian economics versus what you know? Like if when you focus I, well, on I that, that's don't... you're not having a debate about the thing that they're for. You know. Yeah, so the, this is a this is a, you're putting me in a really weird situation where I have to defend <laughs> Jordan Peterson. Right? But I don't think I don't think the issue was when you said I completely agree with you on on the the trans pronouns. The, the position wasn't about the actual pronouns or using the pronouns against. Uh huh. Yeah. The position sure. was about about forcing people to use that speech. Now, Peterson was completely <sighs> misinformed about that. There's nothing that 
that is going to criminalize him. Otherwise, he'd be in jail already. I mean, that bill that he talked about, C-16, has been in, in effect for a very long time now, and nothing's really happened. So it was overblown. But yes, if that was an issue where he was forced to use certain pronouns and otherwise be criminalized for it, that would be that would be a problem. And I think that's a part that no, uh, it, he's a teacher well, at a public university. You have yes. certain responsibilities when you're 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 paid by the government to teach kids. You know, like that's and as you said, the bill C sixteen yeah, was the federalized version, which was already in effect where he was. So nothing I was going to change. That's not, that's, that's not the, the so, issue but, at that but, point. But that's the issue. So now people gave me all these same yeah, arguments. The issue wasn't about, it wasn't just about, and this is, again, I have to defend Jordan Peterson here, which is. You really, really don't have I'm to. Making. You can just, <laughs> you don't, so, I'm not making you defend yeah, him. You can just be like, yeah, he's an right, asshole. Right, but I think that's <laughs> important. Here's, here's the thing. Here's why I think it's important. Okay. I think it's important to do this is because when we're not, one of the biggest complaints and, and it, so I'm leftist liberal okay so i agree with you on most points right one of the biggest problems i have is when we completely dismiss the other side and we don't look at exactly what they're saying and i think that that's a problem i think that if we immediately say okay we look at this we're like okay sam supported what jordan peterson said so that's you know transphobic and and we just dismiss it like that i think that's a problem because then they will come back and they will point out to you that no this is not about using pronouns because peterson has said if someone comes and asks me nice and says you know can you call me she instead of he i will do that you know he said it but he just doesn't want to be compelled to do it by law and that was the issue so i i think that even I, even though I completely agree with you on the principle, I think it's really important to frame what the conversation was and what the controversy. I was would about like to offer a counter hypothesis, way. which is that people try to frame things the best way possible for them. They try to frame. This happens all the time, and there's always this little bit of deniability. There's oh no, he's just focused on a law that, by the way, didn't matter and was already in effect and wasn't going to do it. It's like, yes, but why? Why? Why was he so focused on that? Why that did he think I, it? That part. And I then, furthermore, you, right? uh, Sam Harris had already had a quote where he said, "You know, he was he was bashing liberals because the hill we're going to die on is pronouns." You know, like he 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 has signaled to and and like it might not matter to you until all of a sudden you're friends with a trans person and you see what it looks like when yeah. someone they follow is like. You know, pronoun. Who gives a shit about pronoun? And, and they're struggling to have their own identity in a society that hates them. You know, in a society that leads them to commit suicide at a highest rate of like any other group. Like it matters, and he is signaling that that doesn't matter to him, and that's his right to do so. I no, am I, trying I to say, don't don't make that mistake. Yeah. So I I uh, so I, I don't want to uh, this whole thing to be just about Sam Harris, but I want to bring up again the same kind of point about framing this thing accurately as what it was. When you when you when you say the hill to die on is that going to be about pronouns? There's a larger context that you're talking about. It's not that you have a problem with the pronouns. It's that while we were doing this whole thing, like while Obama was elected, then Obama got reelected by landslides, electoral landslides. Yeah. You know, considering context of the current time right this was happening uh, liberals became very very complacent and sat down we thought oh okay this is good we elected the first black president the world has changed the u.s has changed we're moving forward everything else is history right 
and you became complacent and you started moving on to things like veganism I, or, or, well, or gender pronouns and things like that. And, and not that those things are not important conversations to have. The only problem is that when Trump got elected, then people realized, oh, that wasn't a transformational change. This was a fragile first step to a transformational change. And now we're back where we started. So now we have to regain our focus and, and go for the and, and start talking I about the big things. disagree with your framing of how that went down. I do not think yeah. it's a question of, okay, we've 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 elected Obama, so we're complacent, and now we're going to move on to a fringe issue that nobody cares about. That's not really how I look at it. I, A, I 1 million percent agree with you that liberal voters are too complacent, and they were complacent, not in, I'll do you better, not just I'll in 2016, more. More, but right? Are. Well, we'll see. I'm already pessimistic for after we, uh, if we... Vote someone in uh, to replace Trump in 2020. I think it'll come back. I think we'll be complacent again in 2022. I'm very worried about it because we weren't just complacent in 2016. We were complacent in 2014. We were we were just good enough in 2012 to reelect Obama, but not Congress. You know, not swing the Congress back. So and in 2010, what's that? What was the face of that complacency? So the complacency like? in that? my mind, there's always here's here's the problem. Here's a dynamic, and this is a big topic. But here's what I think. The issue is, uh, and among many, the dynamic between the left and the right in this country is largely, not 100%, but largely between people with money and power who want to keep it and other people. Like the Republican, and the, you know, we can, we can, obviously the money also tries to influence the left. I totally agree. And oftentimes they do. And there will be people who, in order to hang on to power, pretend to be liberals, but they really aren't because they just vote for moneyed interest and all that aside, largely the right wing ideology of, oh, the market's great. Let the market handle everything. It's super great. We don't need any government intervention. That is a position that rich people and corporations want the world to have and want the country to have because it benefits them. Whereas, yeah. every, so, so big picture, the people who are more liberal are going to be the people and the people who are voting for like, policies that will help lift black people out of poverty, all that, all that stuff, enfranchise black people, enfranchise, they're at a huge disadvantage because they're dealing with real life shit of not having the resources they need, li being living in communities riddled with crime and poverty. Like there is so much more that that group has to contend with on a day-to-day -day basis that it's very difficult when they're trying to pay their bills, when they're trying to keep their children from being shot, to let, keep let them focused yeah. on politics. It's very difficult. It is far easier from a position of comfort and wealth to motive, to, to go vote, to go whatever. And so complacency, I think, is built into the system. And I, I almost wouldn't necessarily call it complacency. I would call it, it's an uphill battle for liberal causes, uh, in my opinion. Now, I am... Uh, absolutely flabbergasted. And and also it's a dynamic that I think you guys touched on earlier, which is a motivated identity group like the, the Christian right is better at uniting and fighting and exerting a power above and beyond their numbers. And so what we saw... Yeah, religious fundamentalists everywhere. Yeah. What the complacency is, is not that the all of liberals moved on to fringe issues... I think there's a hardcore engaged liberal or segment of, of liberals who are going to be fo interested in these issues, but that didn't mean they were, I, I think 
I think that complacency is built. It's a, it's a systemic disadvantage for the side that is advocating for like workers rights and for, you know, racial justice and all that. It's going to be way harder to get a bunch of oppressed people to be able to organize and vote every year than it is for a bunch of wealthy um, privileged people because they just have the time resources and, and, and money and all that, you know? So it's, it's always an uphill battle. I don't think it's a result of focusing on trans issues. I, I, I just don't think that is the, the case. Right. I, yeah. I, I just think that, I, I don't think that that was, uh, but when all I'm saying is when, again, I agree with you on the vast majority of that. I just don't think that uh, when, I mean, I actually know what Sam Harris said, for instance, that, you know, this is the hill that we're going to die on, trans pronouns. He wasn't specifically talking about the trans pronouns. He was talking about the kinds of issues that we should be focusing on if we want to come back, right? And that, and, and we, the, because now we're talking about major things. We're talking about mainstream racism, mainstream. But it's not about us focusing on stuff. I, I also want to make that point. I, I, it's, it's, you I, I act sometimes it as though the, the, the progressives get to drive this agenda at all times. These are responses to a white identity politics. You know, like conservatives share the same article from like 2010 when like a trans fighter knocks somebody out. That's not if you look into it, it's not even really what they say it is. They share that for 10 years and they are on the attack for 10 years and then people or more. And then there are people on the left who want to say, Stop being bigoted. Stop. Look at the, the the problems trans people are facing. Please stop doing this. Their pronouns are okay, and they want to come to their defense. And then people like Sam Harris to say, "Oh, really? This is what we're going to die on?" I mean, I, yeah, I imagine how that feels to trans people. The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.